0: Welcome to On Culture. On this podcast, we talk about culture and faith and the world and our place in it. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work and explore all of our content on our website, theembassy.substack.com. Here's Mike. Hi, and welcome to another episode of On Culture. My name is Mike Sherman, and uh, I will be your host uh, this uh, episode, Flying Solo. On Culture is the podcast of the Embassy. Substack newsletter: the embassy.substack.com. Uh And today, I'm going to be talking about leaving the church. Uh, leaving the church and being the church is the is the title of the piece, uh, the last piece that was out. It's the last in a series on the church, uh, although there's obviously much more that could be said. Uh, and I am flying solo, and uh, just a little house cleaning here. I am uh, flying solo. Uh, today, and there probably will be a, a repurposed um, uh, embassy coming up soon because going on vacation and lots of other people on vacation. So it's just easier uh, to do that. But let me uh, dive in uh, and talk about leaving the church, being the church, this last in the series. Uh, we've talked about all sorts of things related to the church and the mission of the church. Uh, and we've mentioned uh, at various points along the way uh, in other embassy pieces as well, that people are leaving the church. Something that we all know. Lots of people are leaving the church. Uh, And you don't have to necessarily be up on all the latest trends because you probably know people uh, who have drifted away from church or have broken from the church, have uh, deconstructed or or disaffiliated or deconverted or, or, you know, whatever. And uh, first of all, um, there's lots of reasons why. Uh, we can understand that pretty, pretty readily. There's, you know, obviously there's scandals of various types in many Christian denominations and large churches. Um, and there's all sorts of, uh, disappointments, personal disappointments, perhaps people being burned by the church in their own experience. Uh, and so people have, can understandably, uh, want to withdraw from that. Um, And I think also people want to disaffiliate or not be affiliated with uh, organizations or uh, denominations that uh, are, you know, tainted in some way. Uh, There are people, there are churches leaving uh, the Southern Baptist Convention because of the the latest controversy. There's churches leaving Acts 29 uh, because of how certain things perhaps were or were not handled uh, related to Mark Driscoll and others. Um, And one can understand that trend towards uh, kind of an institutional disaffiliation for sure. Uh, But also there's a a larger kind of anti-institutional de-institutionalization trend uh, because, uh, you know, all religions are experiencing loss of of people being associated with them in in America, Uh, along with clubs and organizations and companies. Uh, we just typically don't identify with institutions as readily and tend to view them, uh, certainly with with uh, suspicion, uh, if nothing else. And, you know, that's, the church is probably front and center with that. Uh, and the piece, um, I uh, yeah, use a, a series in the New York Times from Jessica uh, Gross, is, I think her name, uh, is that. How you, I think that's how you say it. Uh, But she says, in the United States, the authors of Beyond Doubt, the secularization of society tell us, somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 churches close down every year, either to be repurposed as apartments, laundries, laser tag arenas, or skate parks, or to simply be demolished. Many of of us have seen this in our communities. Uh, Certainly, if you want to pick up a vacant or little-used building that used to be home to a Catholic church in the greater St. Louis area. There probably is something available. Uh, there's been a uh, significant contraction uh, in St. Louis, which is a pretty Catholic area. Uh, but for most of us, the stories are more personal. We know people who have lapsed, drifted, have been burned, have been turned away uh, from the church. And so let's talk a little bit about what, what's going on and perhaps why, and then how do we think about it? Uh, we can understand it, but how do we respond to it? Uh, one of the trends I think that has been, you know, uh, apparent all around us is this, this trend towards deconstruction, which is sort of an umbrella word uh, that is um, used in church circles a lot. Uh, uh, Mark Ryan of, of Sage Christianity and Covenant uh, Seminary uh, has, as part of his work interview, talked with lots and lots of people who are have left the church or thinking of leaving the church or in the process of leaving the church. And, uh, he's, uh, broken that down that deconstruction umbrella term down to, I think uh, a much more he- helpful sort of nomenclature. He talks about first doubt that people go through serious periods of doubt. Um, and maybe they, these people typically grew up in the church and were taught a lot of things as children and now uh, as adults, uh, perhaps much as older adults, they begin to question for various reasons uh, if everything they learned as children uh, was uh, true or were central. Uh, and if those weren't true, then what else isn't true? And there's a kind of a, uh, a trend towards uh, having doubt towards beliefs, inherited beliefs or learned from you know, childhood sort of beliefs. And, you know, this can be, uh, Dr. Ryan points it out, it can be a potentially healthy re examination of beliefs on the way to a, a fuller ownership. So they're not inherited beliefs anymore. They're actually your beliefs uh, because you've re examined them and, and thought about them uh, more deeply. Certainly, um, we tend to have a shadow over the word doubt in the church, I think typically that, uh, you know, doubt is bad. Uh, when I'm not necessarily saying doubt is good, but doubt is a, a reality. Doubt is, a, um, a, from time to time, if we're honest, we're going to have some doubts here or there. And, you know, I would say that, um, the opposite of doubt, uh, we tend to think of doubt versus certainty. There's a certain sort of you know, logic to that in some arenas. When it comes to Christian belief though, uh, doubt can also be opposed to faith. That uh, there's an interplay that basically faith is in some sense a response to doubt. It comes from, I don't really know how this works. I don't totally understand it, but I believe uh, God is good and God has told me this and so I'm going to choose to, in faith, respond to it, even though I have, if I'm honest, some doubts. So in that, in that light, in that lens, it can be a healthy uh, uh, road to a strengthening faith. So that's, that's one. That's one. The first, the first D word is doubt. Second is disaffiliation. And that's just simply no longer part of a particular denomination. That I don't want to be identified as a Catholic or as a Southern Baptist or as a United Methodist, uh, you know, church, UMC that I'm disaffiliating and I'm kind of a bit more of a free agent. Now, this is something that again is understandable based on, you know, what may be going on in a particular church or particular denomination. Uh, but I, I want to come back to this idea of the limits of disaffiliation, uh, and, perhaps challenge the idea that we really are or can be free agents. Yeah. You know, that biblical Christianity and being a free agent don't really go together. I'm just going to say that here up front and come back to it. Um, so there's doubt, there's disaffiliation, there's deconstruction, uh, which is again, deconstructing, going back to the foundations, maybe, you know, an idea, one idea might be that, uh, You you know, you have a a structure, that part of which is damaged, and you take that part apart to build it up stronger. So it could be going back to the foundations upon which might be rebuilt. It could be a part of a building process. And that's something that Dr. Ryan stresses, that somebody on this journey uh, should not be shamed, should not feel shame. Uh, It should be the duty of the church to come alongside people and help them respond in a healthy way. Uh, to this movement, which could be towards a uh, deeper uh, faith and deeper practice. Uh, so doubt, disaffiliation, deconstruction, and the last is deconversion, which is just don't believe anymore. Uh, I've deconverted. And it is it is sort of interesting that there is a community. I mean, it's a new community of, of the deconverted that sort of have these groups and social media and TikTok, and they tell stories and they post stories of other deconversions. And in a sense, it kind of becomes an alternative church, the church of the deconverted. Um, but again, there's there are limits to which we can just make our own church. Uh, because, um, you know, to, to, to jump to the punchline a little bit early, the church is not for us. The church, uh, you know, it is for us in the sense that Uh, It is for our flourishing and for our fruitfulness, but it isn't for us. It is for him. You know, it is the church of which Jesus is the head. He is the King. We are the subjects. You know, he is the one being worshiped and served, you know, giving is, is toward him. Uh, And so it's, you know, not totally up to us. And I think we really, uh, I think we really miss the extent to which we, view everything, including our relationship to the church with some sort of a, this is a thing as a transaction. That's for me. I am owed something. And if I'm dissatisfied, I can move on or move away and, you know, with no harm done. And, uh, there's a certain sense in which, yeah, the church is for you. The church does have a duty to you, but you have a dirty duty to it and you have a duty to the body of Christ And to the mission of God in the world, uh, uh, you know, within which he has placed the church as a central element. Uh, And so I think that's, um, we struggle with that. Uh, And I think if we've never really been anchored in that, then, you know, we're probably going to be prone uh, to this sort of movement a little bit more. And, you know, to be fair, the, you know, the entire church growth movement of which I was a part. Uh, tended to appeal to those outside the church, understandably, uh, in ways that would draw them in. Uh, We have worship that you like. We have activities for your children. We have, you know, summer camp and we have, um, you know, workshops on uh, finding a job. We have all these real ministries that could be ministries, or they could be viewed as services being offered. And if that's what they are, you know, if we're offered services, then it's up to us to accept them or turn them down. And, but if they're more than that, if they're a ministry to us and therefore through us to others, then if I am called to be part of those ministries too, or other ministries of the church, then it's sort of a different thing. And I think that's what that we're that we're missing. Uh, and uh, Jessica Gross in her, in her series, uh, one of the things I thought was interesting, she asked people why they're leaving the church, and it was, you know, a multi-part series that took you know months for her uh, to finish, and uh, she, she got over seven thousand replies, and you know, people wrote of what they missed and what you know, and most all of them missed something and were trying to replace it somehow. You know, Kathy Keller writes in, uh, lives in Michigan, left the Catholic Church, and she tries to spend Sunday morning outside appreciating the glory of nature. And that's great. That can be very worshipful. It could be a way in which God is worshiped and that your soul is refreshed, but it isn't the same thing as church. It isn't a replacement, it isn't meant to be a replacement. It's something that could be a spiritual practice alongside, uh, but there's no hint in Scripture. That anything else replaces uh, uh, church. Uh, Denal uh, McLaughlin uh, is one of the one, one of the uh, uh, deconstruction uh, deconversions who's sharing his story on TikTok, and he has two hundred fifty thousand followers. And you know, other people are interacting with his their, their stories, <clears throat> and you know, he he seems to be, in my view, sort of. Uh, Typical in some ways that he describes himself as a spiritual pluralist rather than a Christian. And he embraces some rituals from his Christian heritage. Uh, but, you know, not all of them. He said religion is like a language, a means of communicating with the divine. And just like language, there are many interpretations and ways to express it. And so, you know, this has been a new ritual for him is sharing his story of deconstruction and deconversion and uplifting other stories. And, um, you know, there's some truth to the fact that religion can be like a language, a a way of communicating with the divine. Um, And like any language, there are many interpretations and ways to express it, perhaps, but not unlimited. And in this case, we're not in charge of the language. You know, it's a means of communicating with the divine that has been given to us by the divine that you know, we didn't make it up uh, and we are not you know, at liberty to just throw it aside. And I think that's kind of where the, you know, the, the punchline of this piece is that we are in this big God story, as I've said many times. And in this story, we are being redeemed and transformed uh, alongside other people. We're being used to redeem and transform And the primary context for all of that is the local church in scripture. Uh, It is the assumed and stated context by which you grow, you mature, you care for others, you love others, you carry out his mission, you give, you know, and in that we share an essential experience with all believers of past centuries all believers throughout the world now that are in completely different uh, socio-economic and cultural situations it's not a western thing it's not an american thing uh, it's uh, something that god has ordained and has been with us for for a couple thousand years and you know that is how he describes it it's the its presence in, in the world in which through which the holy spirit moves transforms and ministers and uh, I'm, again, I can understand people leaving, being people being disappointed, people being disappointed in the expression of the faith they've experienced and may have fallen short. Uh, people may have actually been wounded by the church. I certainly have. Um, and yet that doesn't leave me uh, the freedom to respond to that any way I choose if I am subject to the king, uh, if I am his subject to the Lordship of Christ, He's ordained certain ways for me. And in faith, I have to believe and respond that those are the best avenues for my flourishing. Uh, and, you know, in this big story, some things are just not up to me uh, as I write in the piece. And as one who is in His church, I'm not given the freedom to decide lots of things. I can't decide who is my neighbor or who I have to forgive or who I have to love. And I'm also not given the freedom to no longer affiliate with God's people. Uh, So I can find different, uh, I can move from one church to another, perhaps if I need, if I need to, uh, but to be in an affiliation with God's people under his authority uh, is key to the way in which he's ordained for me to be uh, his child in this part of the story to be part of the body of Christ for his purposes. Um, and as Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let us not, you know... Not, Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So this is not a new phenomenon, uh, for sure. Uh, and you know, that is my reminder and encouragement. Um, and then before I sign off, uh, I do, th- uh, I included a take, uh, Tr- uh Tish Harrison Warren, uh, wh- is one of, is a religious columnist. She's an Anglican priest, uh, columnist for the New York times uh, someone who I think is a good writer who I agree with some things and disagree with some things. Uh, but she's always interesting. Uh, and she's leaving, uh, that post. She's no longer going to have that weekly column. And the, it, the reasons that she gives, I think are interesting, uh, and instructive, uh, and wise. Uh, so I, I want to, she wrote up her last column was basically why she was leaving. And so here's a couple, or three paragraphs perhaps of it that I think uh, are worth us thinking about. Um, she writes, for this and many other reasons, it was a tough decision to leave. And as with any tough decision, my reasons are varied and complex, but one that is writing publicly about God each week can do a number on one's soul. Thomas Wingfold, a character in a novel by the Scottish minister and poet George MacDonald said, Nothing is so deadening to the divine as a habitual dealing with the outsides of holy things. Holy things, sacred topics, spiritual ideas, I believe, have power. Dealing with them is a privilege and a joy, but habitually dealing with the outside of them is inherently dangerous. The outsides of holy things, to me, describe the differences between speaking about divine or sacred things and encountering the divine or the sacred directly. To be sure, we need more and better religious discourse in America. In my very first newsletter for the Times, I wrote that we need to start talking about God, and I still believe that. I believe that religion, and more broadly, the biggest questions in life are the driving forces behind much that is beautiful, divisive, unifying, controversial, and perplexing about our culture and society. Yet there's a danger in becoming a pundit, particularly on matters of faith and spirituality. It can be deadening. I plan to continue to write about faith, to explore its impact on politics, study it sociologically, think about its metaphors and claims of truth, but for any person of faith, public engagement must be balanced with times of withdrawal, of silence, prayer, questioning, and wonder beyond the reach of words. Otherwise, faith, with all its strange and startling topology, becomes a flat and sterile thing, something to be dissected instead of embraced. And typically, once something is fit only for dissection, it is dead. I bring this up because it is a temptation for all of us now. Social media and digital technology have made us all pundits. We are faced with a constant choice. Every experience, belief, feeling, and thought we have can be shared publicly or not. In a single day, we can take in more information and ideas than was ever possible. Yet at the end of the day, we can still lack wisdom. Constant connectivity empties us out as individuals and as a society, making us shallower thinkers and more impatient with others. When it comes to faith, it can yield a habitual dealing with the outsides of holy things, fostering an avoidance of those internal parts of life that are most difficult, things like prayer, uncertainty, humility, and the nakedness of who we most truly are amid this confusing heartbreaking, and incandescently beautiful world. Again, that's Tish Harrison Warren uh, in her piece, My Hope for American Discourse, as she closes out her stint uh, at the New York Times. Um, and I think that'll do it uh, for, for me, for us, uh, for this week. Um, thanks so much uh, for being a part of this. Um, and, you know, I would appreciate if you Uh, have thoughts about future topics you want to hear about or talk about, you know, put those in those comments. Uh, And with that, I will leave you grace and peace. You've been listening to on culture, a podcast of the embassy newsletter. Have a question, send it to the embassy at substack.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.